I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Let's begin by going to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this time that we come together and study your word. And Lord, as we study about the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Lord, I just pray that you would open our eyes to see the truth of your word, Lord, as it testifies to the coming of your Son. Lord, may our faith be strengthened, and Lord, for some, let their faith be uh, began here today, Lord. May, may they begin to see who Jesus is and put their faith and trust in him. So Lord, bless this time of study of your word. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Today we'll be looking at verses 18 through 25. Matthew chapter 1, starting in 18, going through verse 25. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of the pew Bibles there. And it's on page 5, or excuse me, 757 in the Pew Bible. Page 757 in the Pew Bible. It's the first page of the New Testament, so uh, find it there. If you don't have a Bible of your own uh, at home, then please take that Pew Bible with you. That's our gift to you today. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word, so take it and use it for your benefit. Well, as we celebrate Christmas, there's, there are many who have their doubts. Think about baby Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary. Uh, that's just not heard of. I mean, that's a miraculous thing. And so, obviously, there are people in the world who have their doubts about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And so today, we're going to study about one who had his doubts. In fact, we're going to study about Joseph. That's right, Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, at the beginning, he had his doubts. And here in Matthew, Matthew's gospel records those doubts as he begins to, as he finds out about Mary's pregnancy. But the Lord sends a messenger to help him work through his doubts, and he can't, comes away with great faith. So today, we want to see about look at Joseph and his life and how he was introduced to Mary and this virgin birth. We're going to discover his doubts, but also we're going to see the angel of the Lord coming to him to assure him and to answer those doubts. And so today we're going to see three facts about the origins of Jesus that demands a response. The angel brought three facts. He introduced three facts to Joseph about this baby's life that demanded Joseph to give a response. And so we're going to study that, and we're going to see what Joseph's response was, how Joseph responded. And maybe you have your doubts. Maybe there's those here today. You have your doubts about the virgin birth. Well, as we walk through these, these texts of Scripture... I want you to consider these three facts about Jesus' origins and respond accordingly. Respond accordingly. Maybe you have friends and loved ones who have their doubts. Maybe you don't have doubts, but you know someone who does. Well, then listen 
Take this text back to them. Show them what the angel reveals about Jesus so that you might answer their doubts. And certainly, for those who, of us who have no doubts about who Jesus is, this just gives us further reason to celebrate this Christmas season as we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I just want to read this or work through this today, so I'm not going to read it, and I'm not going to ask you to stand and, and read through it, but I want to read it as we go through it so we can kind of see the story as it flows. So as we begin here, as we begin to work through this, notice here in the first couple of verses, verses 18 and 19, notice what it says here, now the birth of Jesus Christ, that is the origins, the word there for birth, has more of a the idea of origin. That's why I named this the origins of Jesus. Now the origins of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just and a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now notice here, we, we under, have to understand this context. Joseph and Mary have been betrothed. Now a betrothal is kind of similar to uh, an engagement. In our own time, we would think of an engagement. When a man and a woman, they, they get to know each other and they decide, hey, let's get married. Well, they get engaged. And so that's something similar, but it, it's very different as well. A betrothal was a legal, it was legally binding. It was legally binding. If we get engaged, if a, a man gets engaged to a woman nowadays, they're not legally bound. That engagement can be broken at any point in time. They can just decide, oh, well, this was a mistake. Let's not get married, and the engagement is over. Well, that was not the case with a betrothal. To be betrothed was to be legally bound. They were, in a sense, already married. They just haven't come together and celebrated that marriage and consummated that marriage, but they, they were legally bound together. Joseph had paid the bridal price to Mary's parents. The contract had been signed. Joseph had gone back to his home to prepare it for Mary, and in about a year's time, it usually took about a year's time for this betrothal period to, to take place, after a year's time was up, on the set date, he would come back and he would receive Mary as his wife and take her to his home. And there would be a great grand celebration, just like we have uh, a marriage, a wedding here. Uh, it would be this grand celebration bringing them two together. But at this point, they were not there yet, right? They were just betrothed. They were legally bound together to get married. But because this was a legal bond, to break off this bond, it required a legal divorce. They had to go to court, and they had to have this, this uh, contract, this uh, covenant, actually distinguished, right? The, broken. And so it was a legal matter. He had to have a legal divorce to break it off with Mary at this time. And so Joseph... He's off, and he's received Mary. He, he, he's, this is his wife, and so he goes off to get ready for the day that he would bring Mary in. And you can imagine his surprise when one day when he comes by and he looks over and he sees Mary, and 
she shall. She's, she's found to be with child. In other words, the time had come and she was started showing. She was pregnant and, and he was thinking, well, I thought this was a godly woman. I thought this was a good, godly woman and now what has happened? What has happened? And so our text here tells us that Joseph was a just man. He was a just man. Now, what does that mean, that he was a just man? Well, it meant that he was a law abider. Joseph was a law abider. He lived according to the law, specifically God's law, right? He was a good Jewish man. He was a good religious man, and he observed God's law. And in Joseph's day, they thought that if you had a wife who was in a condition such as Mary that was unfaithful, they believed that you were legally bound to divorce her. A man was legally bound to divorce a wife who was unfaithful. In fact, the Jewish Talmud, which is a kind of an ancient commentary of the Old Testament law, it states it like this, that this corresponds to the way of a bad man or an evil man, a sinner, if you will, who sees his wife go out with her hair unfastened and spin in the streets with her armpits uncovered and bathe with men. Such a one, such a one it is a religious duty to divorce as it says, because he hath found some unseemly thing in her, and he sendeth her out of his house, and she goeth and becometh another man's wife. And that's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 2, which we'll get to later on in our Deuteronomy study. But that's, they, they interpreted that text, and they interpreted it wrongly, as again, we'll see when we get to that in Deuteronomy. But uh, they interpreted that to mean that if you... If a man sees his wife being immoral, right? Not being modest, being immodest, going, even going out in an immodest modest way, right? Spinning in the streets, that is spinning pottery in the, the streets because then your legs would have to be uncovered. Going out with your arms showing and even so that you can see your arm. Even that, it was a religious duty for Jewish men to divorce their wives. And so now Joseph, he sees his bride, his lovely bride who he loves, and, and she's pregnant. Well, he's a just man. He has to divorce her because that's what Jewish law says. That's what he was taught. That's what he was brought up to believe. And so he's thinking, well, I need to divorce her. But notice, too, he's also a merciful man. He's also a very merciful man. He, he doesn't want to put her to shame. And so he decides, well, I'm not going to put her to shame. I'm not going to make this a public thing. I'm going to divorce her quietly so that she can at least have some kind of res respect left, right? So she's just not crushed. And so he's a just man. He wants to follow God's law as he understands it, but he's also a very merciful man. He still loves Mary. He doesn't want to put her to shame, so he decides, well, I'm going to do the right thing, but I'm going to do it quietly so that she's not put to utter shame in all of this. See, Joseph has his doubts. I'm sure Mary probably told him, no, 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 I'm, I'm con I've conceived by the, the Holy Spirit. This is, 
This is not, I'm still a virgin, Joseph. But now you think about that. If some girl comes up and says, oh, no, I'm a virgin. I'm just, God did this. I'm, I'm pregnant by God. What would you think? Joseph obviously had his doubts. And so he, he didn't believe her. He still loved her. He still cared for her. But he didn't believe her. And so he was getting ready to divorce her quietly. So Joseph had his doubts. But graciously, God sends an angel to Joseph to confront him and to relieve his doubts. And the angel comes and he tells them these three truths about Jesus that would relieve Joseph's doubts. First of all, as the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph, he comes and he reveals Jesus' royal lineage. He reveals uh, Jesus' royal lineage. Notice what he says there in the first part of verse 20. But, as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Joseph, son of David. We don't need to miss that. We do not need to miss that. Joseph, son of David. Now, Joseph certainly was a son of David, and he knew his Davidic lineage. In fact, we we learn from uh, other Gospels that when the census came, Joseph took Mary, and they went to Bethlehem, the city of David, to be registered because he was a son of David. He was from that lineage. He was a a son of David. He was in line for the throne of David, but the Davidic kingdom wasn't ruling and reigning at that time. They were under Roman authority, and Joseph himself was a simple carpenter. He wasn't considered to be a prince or anything like that. I have my doubts that anyone ever addressed Joseph as Joseph, son of David, right? Prince Joseph. No, because he was a simple, poor carpenter. There there was no Davidic throne for him to to gain. And, And so when this angel comes and says, Joseph, son of David, that's like saying Joseph, Prince Joseph. Son of David, heir to the eternal throne, right? Heir to the throne of David. That had to perk up Joseph's ears. He likely had never heard that royal greeting coming to him. But this reveals Jesus' royal lineage. It, It reveals a Davidic lineage. It's a Davidic lineage. Jesus was a son of David because he would be the legal son of Joseph. Right? He he wasn't the genealogical son of David. He wasn't the biological son of David. He wasn't the biological son of Joseph. But Joseph, being the husband of Mary, when when Mary had a child, Joseph was the legal father, which in turn made Jesus a legal heir to the Davidic throne. This angel reveals the Davidic lineage of Jesus. 
this child that Mary was bearing. It also revealed a promise fulfilled. This revealed a promise that God was fulfilling right there in that moment. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we have the Davidic covenant where God comes to David and he makes a covenant with David. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 13, we see that God promises David that a son of David shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. God promised David hundreds of years prior to this. David, your seed, he's going to build me a house. And that wasn't just talking about Solomon's temple. Your son will build me a house, an eternal house. What did Jesus say? I'm going to prepare a place for you, right? I'm going to prepare a house for you. David, God promised David he would send a son, a seed, who would build God a house, and God would establish his throne forever it would be an eternal throne an eternal kingdom now the davidic throne had long since ceased but now god is fulfilling a promise now comes the messiah the chosen one who would establish david's throne as an eternal kingdom the angel reveals jesus's davidic lineage and he reveals that God is establishing or fulfilling this promise that he made to David long long ago Jesus is the legal son of David God's promised Messiah not only does he reveal Jesus royal lineage but then he goes on immediately to reveal Jesus divine conception Jesus divine conception Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That which is conceived in her, the child that is conceived in her, is from the Holy Spirit. Jesus was conceived by God. He was conceived by God the Holy Spirit. This was a miraculous conception. This was not a conception by ordinary means. He reveals here Jesus, that Jesus was perfectly divine. Jesus was perfectly, perfectly divine. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now that's very important to understand. That's very important that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Because if Jesus had been conceived by ordinary means, if he had been a child of Joseph, he would have inherited the sin nature. He would have inherited Joseph's sin nature. But God and His sovereignty chose to overcome our sin nature. And Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. You see, each and every one of us, we're children of Adam. Each and every one of us, we come by ordinary means. And Adam, our father, sinned against God. And because of that, he gained a sin nature. And Adam passed that sin nature down generation by generation to generation to generation to come. All the way down to us. 
But Jesus didn't have our sin nature because Jesus was perfectly divine. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He himself is God. He himself is God. He is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. He is perfectly divine. Furthermore, he revealed that Jesus was completely human. This child that Mary has conceived, this child in Mary's womb is of the Holy Spirit. But notice there, he's from Mary. He's also from Mary. Jesus had Mary's genes. He was perfectly divine and he was also completely human. He is God incarnate, as we're going to hear in a minute. He lived just like we lived. He experienced life just like we experienced life. He, he suffered from the elements outside. He, he sweated when he worked. He got splinters in his hands. He got sick. He suffered loss. As he grew older, as Joseph grow, grew older, there came a day because we see that when Jesus starts his ministry, Joseph's not there. Mo Mary's still alive, but Joseph's not there. So he suffered the loss of his earthly father. He suffered the loss of grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins. He suffered loss just like we suffer loss. He, he experienced life just as we experience life, except this is the only difference, yet without sin. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. See, Jesus was perfectly divine, and completely human. And both of these concepts are important because being both fully God and fully human, Jesus was a worthy substitute. He was a worthy substitute. Old Testament scriptures, the Old Testament sacrifices, you, you see, the Old Testament sacrifices, they were not sufficient to cover sin. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. All of the sacrifices of the Old Testament, the sacrifices of atonement, the sacrifice uh, that, that were supposed to take away sins, they were insufficient to take away sin. All of those sacrifices were only meant to point us to the one sacrifice who would come. The one sacrifice who was worthy. To stand in as a substitute, Jesus Christ, who was perfectly divine, with no sin nature. He was unable to sin. He was tempted, but he never sinned. Yet at the same time, he was completely human, just like us. And because he was human like us, he was a worthy substitute, able to go to Calvary's cross, and to receive our punishment in our place. Jesus was a worthy substitute. Jesus 
Jesus' divine conception qualified him as a worthy substitute, which leads us to the next fact about Jesus that we see here. Jesus' divine mission. Jesus' divine mission. Notice what he says here in verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We, we need to understand that in bi biblical cultures, names often meant something. Literally, they meant something, right? For example, after suffering years of barrenness, Hannah cried out to God in prayer, asking God to give her a son. And when God answered Hannah's prayer, Hannah named her child Samuel. Samuel, which in Hebrew means heard by God. She was heard by God. And so she named her son Samuel. Well, when God names people, it has a meaning. It definitely has a meaning. When God names people, he, He's telling something about that person, about that child. In this case, He is giving us this child's very mission. The angel says, you shall name Him Jesus. Jesus. In the Hebrew, Yeshua. Joshua. Which means... Yahweh saves, or Yahweh's salvation. This child is Yahweh's salvation. He is the Savior that God promised His people for centuries. This is the Savior who would come. And then to clarify that, to, to make him understand what he meant, he goes on to explain, for He will save His people from their sins. This Little word, this little phrase here. He will save their people. His pe their people. Whew, excuse me. He will save his people from their sins. Is an allusion back to Psalm chapter one thirty, verse eight, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Now, this is important to understand. This is important to, to understand. This. What is the angel saying? He will save God's people from their sins. You see, the people of Israel, they were expecting Yahweh's salvation. They were expecting a Messiah to come who would save them. But they were looking for someone who would save them from their enemies. Someone who would save them from Rome's oppression. They were looking for a political Savior. But the angel says, no, no, no. Let's get this clear. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Let's understand really what God said. God said, I'm going to send a Savior who will save Israel from His iniquities, from His sin. Because see, you see, our greatest problem, Israel's greatest problem, and our greatest problem is not politics. It is not the government. Our greatest problem is our sins. Because our sin is what separates us from a holy, righteous God. It's our sin that separates us from God. Not who's in office in the White House. Not how much money is in the bank. 
You see, a lot of people, even today, they're looking for a Savior, but they're looking for a political Savior. Someone who will change the political landscape of America. Or they're looking for an economical Savior. Someone who will increase their bank account. But God's not promising a political Savior, nor does He promise economical salvation. He says, I sent a Savior to address your greatest sin your greatest problem and that's your sin because it's your sin that will send you to hell it's your sin that will separate me from separate you from me for an eternity you see our greatest problem is our sin and God sent his salvation Jesus Christ to address our sin Jesus is God's salvation. Dear friend, let me tell you, you may be looking for a political savior. You may be looking for an economical savior. You may be looking for a social savior. But that's not Jesus. Jesus came to save you from your greatest problem, your own sin. Because it is your sin and your rebellion against a holy, righteous God that will separate you from Him for all of eternity. Trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Put your faith in Him and all those other things. They won't matter so much. And He'll address all of those other problems in eternity. But right now, trust in Jesus. No matter your political situation, no matter your economical situation, no matter your social situation, trust in Jesus. Jesus is Yahweh's salvation. Furthermore, he goes on to show that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is God with us. He is God incarnate, God in human flesh, who dwells with us, who is with us. Now, this is very interesting. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew, or Jesus promises, or it is promised three times that Jesus will be with us, that Jesus will be God with us. First of all, it's promised right here where Jesus will be with his people to save us from our sins. He is God with us to save us from our sins. In Matthew 18, verse 20, God, uh, Jesus promises, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now this text, in, in the context, the context is, is church discipline. When, when two or three are gathered together to address church discipline, Jesus says, there I will be with you. In other words, Jesus promises to be with us to preserve the church's purity 
He promises to save us, to be with us in our, our salvation. He promises to be with us, to preserve the church's purity. And then third, in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, Jesus commands, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the ends of the ages. Jesus promises to be with us to empower his church in their gospel mission. Oh, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He came to be with us, to save us, to purify us, and then to empower us as we go announce the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. Jesus is God with us. God with us. Jesus is God's salvation who saves us from our greatest enemy, our own sin. And then he continues with us to purify us and empower us to do our mission. So the Lord's angel reveals Jesus' royal lineage, his divine conception, and his divine mission. How does Joseph respond? Joseph responds in faith. Look there at verses 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Joseph responded in faith. Now notice, as we see Joseph's faith, notice that faith is not simply believing certain facts. Faith is not simply believing these facts about Jesus. We've seen these three facts about Jesus. We've seen these three facts about Jesus, who Jesus is. But his response was not just, okay, yeah, I believe those facts, but I'm going to go and divorce Mary anyway. No, he, he believed those facts and he responded to those facts. You see, we, we see here faith's response. Faith's response. Joseph's faith was obedient faith. It was obedient faith. He does as exactly as the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, he does exactly, in other words, what God told him to do. And he went and took Mary to be his wife. And he knew her not until after she had conceived Jesus. You see, true faith is not just noting facts, but true faith does something. It acts. It responds. It does. Now we need to understand, and I don't want you to miss this, Salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Your faith in Jesus saves you. It's your faith that saves you. But faith that has no action is not saving faith. In fact, as James tells us, faith without works is dead. It's no faith at all. Faith is what saves you, but the faith that saves it responds, it does, it obeys, it transforms, it, it lives for God. 
You see, even the demons believe facts about Jesus. We could go down the list here, right? We could go down through the list here of all of these things that oh, Jesus was a, a son of David. Yeah, the demons say, yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, he, he, genealogically, he, he was a son of David, right? Legally, he was a son of David. Yeah, yeah, the demons believe that. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, absolutely, yeah. We saw when God gave the command and, and went out and, yep, the demons say, yeah, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Yep, he is the Son of God. Absolutely, he's the Son of God. Yep, we believe all of that. The demons believe all of that. But they don't surrender to Jesus as Lord. They don't have saving faith. If you're here and you're, you, you can say, yes, I believe that Jesus was the Son of God. I believe Jesus went on Calvary's cross and, and he died to pay the penalty for my sins. You can believe all of those facts, but not have saving faith. There's a lot of people will say, yeah, I believe, check that box, check that box, check that box. But have you surrendered to Jesus? Have you surrendered to Jesus? Or do you continue to live in obstinance to, to the will of God? You see, saving faith is obedient faith. Saving faith surrenders its life to Jesus. Trusting him as Lord of your life. Obedient faith. Faith produces obedience. Faith does not produce obstinance. Faith never produces obstinance. It never produces more rebellion. Not that we live perfectly, but it doesn't produce more rebellion. It doesn't continue in rebellion. But true faith produces obedience. It's obedient faith. Furthermore, it's decisive faith. It's decisive faith. Joseph does this regardless of what his parents thought. Regardless of what his neighbors thought. He's still living in a world that believes that it's unrighteous for a man, it's sinful for a man to, to receive a wife who's pregnant outside of wedlock. He still lives in that culture. You, you better believe that he was looked down upon. You better believe that people looked at him at, in shame for taking this woman who is pregnant before they were married. And Joseph says, I don't care what the world thinks. He was resolved to follow God's will. He surrendered to God's will for his life. He said, I don't care what the world thinks. I'm going to follow God. See, there's a lot of people who want to get their fire insurance. So let's walk the aisle. Let's repeat some prayer. Let's get baptized. Let's get our name on the church roll. But then I'm going to go out here and I'm going to live like the culture wants me to live. I'm not going to change anything. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not really going to follow God, but hey, I want my name on the roll because I want that fire insurance. 
And that's not saving faith. Saving faith responds to God. It responds to Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Scripture is clear over and over and over again. And I weep because there are hundreds of people. And I see them. I see them. They're professing to be Christians, but then they're going out and living like the world. They're shacking up. They're doing the drugs. They're following the world. And they think just because they say they're a Christian, just because they say, I believe these facts about Jesus, I'm okay. And they're on the fast train to hell. And maybe that's some of you. If you're living in open, unrepentant sin, I don't care what God says. I don't care what His Word says. I, I believe in Jesus, but I don't care. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live my life. I'm going to do what I want to do because that's what makes me happy. If that's you, my fear is that you're not a Christian. Because the very essence of Christianity is saying, I surrender. I surrender my will to God. I surrender my will to Jesus Christ. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, key, Jesus is Lord, I step off the throne and give it all to Jesus. I confess Him as Lord and believe that He died for me and was raised again. You shall be saved. Saving faith is obedient and decisive. I wonder... Does that describe your faith? Does that describe your faith? Saving faith is obedient and decisive faith. Saving faith, faith puts all of your hopes and joys in Jesus Christ. Saving faith trusts Jesus and seeks to live in obedience to Christ no matter the cost. Even if it costs you friends family and even all that you own saving faith abandons all to follow Christ saving faith abandons all to follow Christ Jesus is the son of God and the son of David who came to save you from your sins dear friend abandon all to follow Christ Abandon all to follow Christ. That's all that matters. He's all that matters. Everything else in your life that you think matters so much, it's nothing. It will be burnt up. It will go away. Jesus is what matters. Abandon all. Please, please, abandon all to follow Christ. Because He gave all 
to save you. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, you understand the doubts that so many of us have. Lord, there's some here that have doubts. And you understand their doubts. And in your word, you address their doubts. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to be perfect to come to you. Oh, Lord, we, we are far from it. But in our imperfection, you loved us and you sent your son Jesus to die for us. You came in human flesh to live, suffer, and die for us in our place. Thank you for being God with us. Not only in our salvation, but in every part of our life thereafter. Lord, you are here with us today. And we thank you and we praise you. And Lord, there's some today, they have their doubts. Oh Lord, touch their hearts in their doubts. Open their eyes to see. Give them a heart of flesh to, to feel and to understand and to believe. And Lord, let them abandon all to follow you. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen.